Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. Today we're going to wrap up the series Anxious for Nothing. Uh, originally last week was going to be the end. Originally we were going to wrap it up last week with Sonia. She did an amazing job. So I'm thankful for my wife who filled in and that let me go on a little road trip. Uh, I'm thankful for a wife that understands that I need space. Like, you know, I got to clear my head, go where there is no cell phone reception, no people, uh, mountains and water. So I came back a little refreshed. So thank you for that. Thank you for being able to do that. Today we're going to wrap up the series, though, Anxious for Nothing, because as I was prepping the message, I felt like we needed to hit on one more thing. And so if I'm honest with you, last week, what it, the last week I was here, I told you that I don't really struggle with anxiety. Like, it's not like I'm not, I don't get anxious. I don't, you know, I don't deal with that like maybe some of you deal with that. And Sonia shared with it, she deals with that. Uh, it's not something that I deal with. I have dealt with depression, and I have dealt with some of those things at times in the past, but it's not something that's just overwhelming to me. But I will say, in my own way, I deal with what, we talk, what we're going to talk about today. So I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, and I hope that you get something out of it, because this has really helped me kind of get past some of the things, and, and it's, a, it's a constant battle, right? And so as we cross the finish line for anxious for nothing, I want us to focus on two thoughts today. And I want us to focus on the fact that God wants you to experience freedom. God wants you to live in freedom. Like you can be free of anxiety. You can be free of the weightiness. You can be free of the stuff that you're going through. You can be free of that. And then surrender is the key to your fullness in Christ. Like the, the way that you're going to be free, the way that you're going to experience fullness in Christ is by surrendering. And now if I'm honest with you, if I were on that side of the pulpit, if I were on this side and I were listening to this message and listening to the preacher talk about surrender, I'd be aggravated right now. Because that's not something I do very well. If I'm just honest with you. Like... I know all about, I can give you all the scriptures, and I'm going to give you some scriptures. I can give you all the scriptures about surrender. I can tell you the concept behind surrender. But it's the thing that I struggle with the most, is surrendering. Because in reality, you hear the word surrender, and we all probably know what the definition is. Like, you might not know the, the Webster definition of what surrender is, but we can define it, can't we? Like, we know what it means to surrender. Surrender is a battle term, and it's where one army takes over the other army, and the army that is defeated, they, they surrender their will. They give up their will. They lay down their weapons. They're not going to fight anymore, and they surrender. Like, we understand that that's what it means to surrender. But the problem is, if you're going through it right now, like if you're facing it, whatever it is, you don't want to hear somebody just talk about surrender. You want, to talk, you want to hear somebody tell you like what that means to surrender. 
And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what it means to surrender. One of the basic things that I think we need to understand about your fullness in Christ and experiencing that freedom is knowing that your freedom is found in God's forgiveness. Like you need to understand that your freedom that God wants you to experience is found because God has forgiven you. And we're going to spend some time talking about this. So what we've talked about so far is going to intertwine. It's going to weave its way through for the rest of the series, the rest of the message today. We, this is our scripture that we've been talking about for the past now four weeks. Paul understood what it meant to be stressed. He understood what it meant to possibly deal with anxiety because when he's in prison, when he's wanting to do something different, Paul wanted more than anything to get to Rome so he could share the gospel. But every time Paul took a step forward, I don't know if this is familiar, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but every time Paul took a step forward, he felt like he was taking two steps back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel like you're just taking a step forward, but you take two steps back every time? Every time Paul would move forward toward the vision, toward the calling that God had placed on his life, he was doing God's work and he was thrown in prison, or he was beaten, or he was this, or he was that. And when he wrote the book of Philippians, or he wrote the letter to the Philippians, he was in prison, in maximum security prison, and he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. So I want you to think about that. Everywhere Paul went, he had to take the prison guard with him. When he ate, restroom, when he slept, everything. He was attached to the guard. And while he is attached to the guard, while he is in prison, while there is no hope to get out, he didn't know if he was going to get out or make it out alive, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, in case you missed it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to men. Stop, time out. What does that mean? Make your gentleness be made known to men. That means no matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances, let your gentleness be made known. In other words, <laughs> tell your face and your actions that you were saved and that you are living right and that God is for you. Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He's not far away from you. He is near. And be anxious for nothing. But in everything, no matter what the circumstance, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know, an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude can take, a far, take you a long way. This is to be thankful. Not for the circumstance. There's some circumstances, y'all, I have not been thankful for. Been on the side of the road before changing the tire. I was not thankful at the time that I was changing the tire. But you can be thankful in every circumstance. That's what Paul's saying. He's in prison. He's thankful for, thankful for God to be in with him in the circumstance. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's the peace of God that guards your heart, y'all. It's the peace of God that you can't explain. It's the peace of God that you can't duplicate, you can't replicate on your own. It's the peace of God that will guard your hearts. That's what guards your hearts. I think the problem is we try so hard 
to get ahead. We try so hard to get out of the stress. We try so hard that we try and we don't allow the peace of God to be in our heart and to guard our heart. And so it's all about surrender. And I just want to remind you what we said just a few minutes ago, that surrender is the key to your fullness in God. It's like I told you before, like we live in a world of passwords, and that's frustrating to me because it's always a password and I never can remember the thing because they tell you not to do the same password. And you can't make it easy, right? Like password, not a good password. Surrender is your password to the presence of God. Surrender is your password to the fullness of God. Surrender matters. But I'm just telling you, that word irritates me. I'm just honest with you. Like it irritates me. Because I'm like, okay, yes, surrender. I give up, God. Now do something. Huh? Hello? I'm just being real. Like do something, God. All right, I surrender. Do something. Here I am. I'm surrender. Am I surrendered? But am I really taking control? Am I just saying it? Does anybody else have those mind battles? So what does it mean to surrender? When Sonia and I were in the process of figuring out what we were going to do next. So, 40-something years old, (laughs) I was trying to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. I had spent 18 years at one church as an associate pastor at different levels and various roles in the ministry, and I was comfortable and I was happy and I was unfulfilled. And it wasn't necessarily the circumstances, but we were trying to figure out, okay, are we going to go start, are we going to go work at another church? Are we going to go move out of state to work at another church? Am I going to go back into the business world? What am I going to do? What is next for us, God? And then I I came to this realization through reading a a book that I needed to go on this fast. And so Sonia and I agreed together and we went on this prolonged, month-long fast. And I realized that God's not a forcer, He's a filler. And that meant so much to me because if I try to force things into and force things to happen, it's not going to. But if I will give God space, He will fill it. And that's my definition of what it means to surrender. Like me giving up and providing space and saying, okay, God, not me, but you. Surrendering is just giving space. And we've got to switch from I must to God has done. See, here's the problem with most Christianity. We, 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 we do this like performance-based Christianity, this performance-based relationship, and we treat it kind of like the relationships that we have around us. We treat it like our relationships at work. We think we've got to do enough. We think we've got to be enough. We've got to be good enough. We've got to be, you know, Proactive, we've got to serve enough, we've got to give enough. We've got to do enough, but God has already done everything for us. And so what we do in return is in gratitude for what God has already done. Let me see if I can help somebody today. Listen to me. If God loves you so much, that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for you? Don't you think that he cares enough about you to take care of your job situation? 
to take care of your financial situation, to take care of your relationship situation, to take care of your living situation, to take care of your fill-in-the-blank situation. But listen to me. You can't just live any way you want to live and expect God to do what you want Him to do. The reason that Paul was able to pray, God, you know, we, we, your will be done. I'm not going to be anxious for anything, but I'm going to be thankful in everything. The reason he was able to do that is because he, had, he understood what it meant to live on the other side of things. He understood what it meant to persecute the church. He understood what it meant to live not for God. To do all the wrong things. And so that when he came to Christ, he was so grateful for what he had done for him. I think that Jesus, so we have on our wall right there, out in the foyer, it says, model Jesus, love our neighbors. And the reason we do that is because when Jesus was asked, and I'm going to talk about this next week a little bit for Mother's Day. When Jesus was asked, like, what is the greatest commandment? Like when we think about commandments, we probably think about the Ten Commandments, but there were actually way more than ten. There was a whole book of commandments that Jewish law had to keep. And so he had these big books of commandments, and the people that were trying to trick Jesus with the question were, were trying to get him to, to, you know, this book of commandments. Okay, we got him, we got him now because there's no way he's going to remember them all. There's no way. Jesus said, well, I can tell you what it is. I can boil it down to two. You're to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. It's where we get the language, model Jesus, love our neighbors. And we, this is what it means. Like Jesus is the greatest example in everything in life. He was the greatest teacher, right? He was the greatest servant. He was the, he was the greatest preacher. He was, whatever Jesus did, he was the greatest at. Jesus is love. He's the word of God. But listen. This may not be something you think about very often. Jesus is our greatest example for surrender. We see it in the, in the New Testament in the accounts leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus was, was going to the garden. He took his disciples to the garden, minus one, because we know Judas had already left to go and do his thing and, and get the silver and bring the bad guys, I call them bad guys, to arrest Jesus so they would crucify him. And so Jesus takes the 11 disciples and he takes them to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes a few more that were closest to him and he takes them a little further and he asks them all, he says, hey, y'all pray. He was Southern in this moment. He said, y'all pray. I'm going to go further. I'm going to go pray by myself while I'm praying, y'all pray here. And Jesus goes back and he, he's praying and he's fervently praying. And the Bible even tells us that when he's praying, his Sweat was like droplets of blood, and there's a medical condition for that cause, but he was sweating, and he's struggling. And the humanity of Jesus, 100% man, was praying, God, I don't want to go through what I'm about to have to go through because in his divinity, 100% God, he was both. He knew what he was about to face, and he knew that it was necessary because he knew he, he had to pay for the sins of all. And he's praying, God, take this cup from me. And he goes back and he checks on his fellas, checks on his boys. And what are they doing? Snoring. They're asleep. Come on, man. Can't you just watch and pray for an hour? Can't you just, can't you just? And he goes back and he prays again. And he comes back and what are they doing? Snoring. Man, can't, can't get good help no more. 
Come on, just pray with me a little while longer. And he goes back and he prays a little bit more. And he's praying, God, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. God, I don't want to go through what I'm about to go through. You've got to understand what he was doing. He was asking God to deliver him from the situation that he was in and the circumstances he was about to face because he knew it was going to happen. And he comes back again and the disciples are asleep. He says, well, it's too late now because there they are. And then Judas is leading the temple guard up to Jesus. And Judas walks up and betrays Jesus with a kiss. And the moment after Jesus is praying in the garden by himself, where he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. He goes back out to his disciples, betrayed by one of them, and he's arrested. The moment after he says, your will be done, God. He surrendered to it. I just want to remind you of something really, really important. Jesus surrendered when he could have taken control. You need to remember that. Jesus surrendered when he could have taken control because when he walks back out, he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. In fact, one account in in the Gospels tell us that when Jesus said, I am he, all the soldiers, whoo, falls down. Just the power of God's word. And at any moment, Jesus could have taken control because when you look at Peter, pre-crucifixion Peter was very different than post-crucifixion Peter, right? Pre-crucifixion Peter reacted. Like he spoke, he did, he reacted, then he thought about it. Got any friends like that? You're, You're constantly getting them out of trouble? Pre-crucifixion Peter, he reacted. And you may not always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. And again, there's that stupid word again. Don't say stupid, kids. There's that word again, surrender. That's the word I don't like. But I'm going to show you the difference now. Jesus surrendered and Peter took control. When they, arrest, when they came up to arrest Jesus, all the disciples scattered, except for Peter. Peter said, oh no, uh-uh, not me. Whoosh, pulls out his sword, starts swinging it, and he chops off a guy's ear. I don't think Peter was that precise in his swinging of the sword. I think he was probably aiming to cut his head off. But he chopped his ear off, and Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to do that. Picks his ear up, puts it back on, and he says, Peter, don't you know who I am? All right, so I'm adding to it a little bit. Don't you know who I am? Jesus, haven't you seen all I've done? Peter, I could have easily called legions of angels to stop the whole thing. But I'm allowing this to happen because it's God's will. So I want to ask you this question, which is more powerful? Legions of angels or Peter's sword? Like it doesn't compare. Legions of angels. So what do you think your best efforts are going to do in the circumstance and the situation that you're in when you're fighting so hard to get out of what you're in and you're not surrendering and giving God room and letting Him take control 
if God has access to legions of angels, your best efforts don't even add up. They don't even come close. Right? And that's just an example that they physically shows you Peter's sword versus legions of angels that Jesus could have called down. And it didn't stop in that moment because not only did Jesus say, hey, I could have I had legions of angels here. Your sword's going to do nothing. That's not what we're going to do. What this is going to be necessary for me to go through what I'm about to go through. At any time, Jesus could have taken control, but he surrendered. He could have taken control when they were put him in handcuffs, whatever they were put him in. He could have taken control when they were walking him down to give to, to try him in the kangaroo court that wasn't even supposed to be legal. He could have at any time called out when he was being tried and they were making accusations. He could have any time opened their eyes. He could have any time just froze time. Jesus could do anything he wanted to. It was God. He could have at any time when he was before Pilate, he could have just called down the angels. He could have at any time when he was being beaten, stopped it. He could have just went, Phew! and they would have all fallen down and died, whatever. He's God. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He could have at any time when he was trying to carry the cross up to the hill, he could have any time just stopped it. He could have any time when he was being nailed to the cross, when he was being, cross was being put up, or when he was hanging there, could have at any time stopped it. But he chose to surrender. He chose to go through it for you and for me. And in the ultimate power move, and this to me shows you, and we talked about it at Easter, this to me shows you that Jesus was in charge. Because at the very end, when he's hanging on the cross, he's been beaten, he's been stripped, he's been up all night, he's been accused, he's been spit on, he's been hair's been plucked out. He's, he's, go, he's had a night, y'all. At any time when he was hanging on the cross, he could have stopped it. But at the end of his life, he said, it is finished. That's the power move, y'all. Because that's the one that shows you, I'm in charge you're not. And it's about trust. So if I were to ask you this question, we're talking about surrender, we've talked about Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate example of surrender. If I were to ask you what it means to trust somebody, do you want what you want or do you want what God wants for your life? Like if you're a parent, this is a question. Because it's real easy for you to tell your kids, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to do this while you do that. They're just doing what you're doing. But do you want what you want or do you want what God wants? Now, if you grew up in church and you know the Sunday school answer, the Sunday school answer is, of course, I want what God wants. I want His will for my life because I'm super spiritual and I'm saved and I'm living right. I'm going to heaven. And I'm doing all the good things and I'm better than my neighbor. Right? Now that's the Sunday school answer. But do you trust Him? Do you trust God that what He wants for you is better than what you want for you? Do you trust God that what He wants in all the areas of your life is better than what you can do on your own? And if you say, yeah, I trust God, and I'm not talking about fire insurance, y'all. I'm not talking about just getting into heaven, right? 
gates closed behind you. Whoo, I made it. I'm talking about like engaging in full relationship and trusting God fully. What's the percentage of how much you trust God? Do you trust God with 20% of your life? You trust God with 60% of your life? 80%? Or sometimes you all in and then you all out. Do you trust God with your salvation? But not your tithe? You trust God with your salvation, but not your relationship, not your time, not your Sunday morning. It's about trust. How much do you trust God? Here's what the Bible says about trust. One of the scriptures found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths the reason we get into so much trouble the reason we get into circumstances the reason we get into relationships the reason we get into the jobs the reason we get into all this stuff is because we're probably directing our own path and we're driving our car and we don't want anybody else drive. But if we'll trust God with all of our heart and we'll acknowledge Him, He will direct our path. 2 Corinthians 10, 10 3, 6. We've talked about this before in the, in the series. But I want to bring it back to your attention. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The battle is spiritual, y'all. It's a spiritual battle. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look at the blue. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The reason that there are people, the reason that maybe you are struggling with some of the things you're struggling about, because you're not thinking what you're thinking about. And if I'm honest with you, when we talk about surrendering, this is my problem. My problem is I don't want to think what I'm thinking about, and I don't want to take my thoughts and bring them into captivity. But if you will, look, look at the language written here and being ready to punish all disobedience when your dis, when your obedience is full so once you get past the thing once you get past the habit once you get past the anxiety once you get past the depression once you get past whatever it is you're battling punish it from now on let your obedience rise above so can i just put this into scott language may not make sense to you, but it did to me. Not taking your thoughts captive will make you a prisoner to them. Like not taking your thoughts captive, you'll just become a prisoner to the, to the cycle that you're in. And it's important that when the thought comes, we say, oh, no, 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 no. And you speak to yourself. This is how you defeat the negative talk that you have in your head. Because if you listen to yourself, right, you got to remind yourself of who you are, whose you are. You're the head, not the tail. You're saved. Jesus followed through all the way to the end.
Surrender is not a one-time decision. Surrender is not a one-time decision. You think about what Jesus did. We talked about him. Jesus throughout his ministry. Think about this. Jesus left heaven, had to come be born of a, as a baby. God knew that was part of the plan. God knew we needed that. He had to go through his childhood. He had to go through puberty. He had to go through school. He had to go through chores. He had to go through all the things that you've had to go through. Face all those temptations. He had to live for 30 years before he could experience what God sent him to do. And throughout that time, he would tell his mom, he would tell his disciples, time has not yet come. Time has not yet come. In in the garden, what did he do? God, not my will, but your will be done. Surrender is not a one-time decision. It's why the Bible tells us that we are to take up our cross and deny ourselves once a week. Twice a month daily. We're to do that every single day. Surrender is not a one-time decision. It's an ongoing process. And this may be where you are right now. This may sum up kind of what you're going through and what you're fighting and what you're battling. When we feel powerless over the future, we feel afraid. Remember what we talked about in the beginning with Elijah? Like what anxiety, what depression, what this stuff does to us is it ends up making us think irrational thoughts. Let me rephrase that phrase for you. What it does is it makes us rationalize irrational thoughts. And I don't know about you, but this is what I struggle with. I don't struggle with like fear of circumstances, fear of people, fear of whatever. I struggle with laying in the bed at night, thinking about scenarios and situations and circumstances, and I'm a worst case scenario guy at how to fix it. And when you feel powerless over the future, you feel afraid. When you feel powerless over the present, you get depressed. I thought it'd be different by now. I thought I'd be. I thought I'd thought, ladies, I thought he'd be. Guys, I thought she'd. I thought my kids wouldn't act that little crazy people. And when we feel like the people or the circumstances in our life just won't change, we feel angry. And you may just intertwine all throughout that. But you get afraid, you get depressed, and you get angry. And it's this anxiety that works in us. This is what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Fear leaves when you can rely on something that can't fail. Think about that. Fear leaves when you can rely on something that can't fail and God has never failed to fulfill his promises. God's promise for you can be found in his word and you can take it to the bank like the bank that won't fail. That's probably a bad analogy right now. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears have not been made perfect in love. When you accept the love of Jesus, 
And you accept that God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you and that whatever he wants for your future is better than anything in your best efforts. And you can rest in that and not have to fear because it's all about surrender. If you imagine yourself as a cup, I'm usually an illustration guy, but I'm going to tell you the illustration, right? If you imagined yourself as a cup, whatever you fill that cup with is what's going to be in it, profound. So if you keep putting fearful thoughts in the cup, guess what's going to be full in your cup? Fear. But if you pour God's word, his spirit, his love, surround yourself with his people, you put that in your cup, eventually all that fear is just going to be pushed out and run over and get out of the way. And eventually your cup's going to run over with good things in life. That's what God wants for you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he came out of the grave and He ascended to heaven and we have the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us now so that you can surrender and you can live a life of fullness. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me. We're going to partake of communion. and As we get ready to, to do that, I want us to take a moment and think about what communion means. Right? Like communion... A lot of times we can just kind of go through the motions of communion because we've all probably been in a communion before. We've probably all partaken of communion before. But the reason that Paul is talking about communion and he's replicating the Last Supper and he's talking about Jesus and the body and the blood is because the Corinthians had begun to take for granted their worship to God. So the things that they would do during their worship time, they were just sort of taking it for granted. And Paul's telling them, he said, hey, listen, you're not treating your worship with reverence. This is something God's really dealt with me about. Like, I think it's really important that we don't just go through the motions in our relationship with God. And here's what communion does for you and for me. It offers intimacy with him. It offers intimacy with him. And communion is designed to illustrate unity in the church because you're unifying with the body of Christ and so as we get ready to partake of communion I'm going to ask them they're going to sing just sing the chorus real simple chorus so I surrender all and I want you to make it that you make this your prayer we'll come back and take communion and dismiss as we get ready to partake communion Paul's message was don't take for granted what you're about to do. And he was instituting the Lord's Supper. And he told the group, he said, hey, look, there may be factions among you, but this brings us together. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ brings us together. We may have our differences. We may have our struggles. But it's the body of Christ and what he did on the cross that brings us together. It's the victory we have because he's no longer in the grave. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for you and you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And when he instituted this, he took the 
bread and the wafer in our case. And he said, take this because it represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you. He said, break it and partake. Then he said, take the juice, which represents the blood that was shed for you, that covers the multitude of sin. And he said, when you drink the cup, do this in remembrance of the blood and Jesus that was shed for you. In Jesus' name, drink it now. Amen. Communion is not something we just do. Communion is not just something we get through. When we do, it's intentional. It's remembering what Jesus has done for us. No matter where you are today and what you're going through, can I just encourage you for a moment? God loves you. God's on your side. And no matter what you're going through, he'll see you through. I'm going to pray for us. They're going to sing, and this will be our dismissal. Thank you so much for being here. See you next week. It's Mother's Day. Come, bring mom to church with you. It's going to be a great week. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for for surrendering, Jesus. And now, God, help us to model that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you. You're dismissed.